Who has ever been left on uh, when you're text messaging someone and you see it's been left on red and they're not responding at all? Or the three dots that just keep going and you're like, are you going to respond? Anybody ever been there? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a, a pet peeve of mine when I know that it's like a short response situation and it's just like left hanging. And then three days later, they're like, oh yeah, totally, man. Yeah, totally. Um, love that. But uh, t- we are kicking off our new series, I Can Relate. And uh, our lives are marked by relationships. If we, if we look back at, our, in our, at the end of our days, when we're looking back, we aren't going to think about the things we own. We aren't going to think about maybe even the trips we've gone on and all those different things. We're going to think about the relationships that are around us. And uh, relationships mark a life. Um, relationships with people, with our family, with our coworkers, um, with, with, uh, uh, with, with God. And so as we, uh, and even relationships with ourselves. Some of us really struggle with relationships with ourselves. So we're going to be going through this series, and I think it's going to be a really powerful series because uh, uh, the Bible is full of stories, both just stories of relationships and how they play out, but also um, direct it, directions on how to relate to one another, how we should live with one another, how we uh, spur one another on, all these things. So I'm excited to get into this series. Now, um, my son... Gavin is going, he's in seventh grade. Next year, he's going to be in eighth grade. And they take an eighth grade trip to the East Coast. And so they go to Washington, D.C. and New York. Just giving you fair warning because he's probably going to be selling you jerky at some point in the near future. Candy bars, those kinds of things, right? It's coming. Just be ready to buy a bunch of them, okay? So, so this East Coast trip is coming up. And as he's getting ready for that, I was thinking about when I did that. In eighth grade, I got to do that. We went to Washington, D.C. We got to see the Capitol building. We got to see the memorials and the monuments. We got to see the halls of Congress where laws are made. The birthplace of our democracy. It was incredible. We saw Gettysburg where the Civil War was, battles were fought. We saw New York City. We got to New York, got to go to New York City. And the thing that marked this trip in my eighth grade mind, the biggest thing I was looking forward to, I heard that in New York, there were people that would come up to you and sell you counterfeit watches and sunglasses. And I wanted a fake Rolex and I wanted fake Oakley so bad. And that's all we talked about. We're like going to see all these incredible things. And all I wanted was a fake Rolex and a fake Oakley's. And uh, I, I'm not quite sure why we thought anyone would think these are real on a, on a 13-year-old kid's head or, or wrist, you know, wearing a $3,000 watch, really. And there's 75 of us getting off a bus with matching watches and everything. I don't think so. Um, but this was like the goal. And sure enough, we got there. And there was a guy that was like, hey, you want to get, you know, get a watch? You want to get sunglasses? And we were like, it's happening! And... And we bought, we bought our watches and our sunglasses and those things were so chintzy and so flimsy that they didn't, most of them didn't even survive the trip home. You could feel them. They were plastic and kind of flopping around and like there's no substance to them whatsoever. They were counterfeit. They were fake. And, and, uh, and so they didn't even survive the trip home. And so our memories had to just end up being the photos and memories we had seeing the Capitol building and all these places where our government operates in the history of our country. I guess we had to settle with that. But, uh, In the same way, you can't just take any watch you get at a flea market and slap a, an Omega uh, logo on it. It doesn't change what the watch is. You can't just take a purse and put Louis Vuitton on it. It doesn't change the quality and the craftsmanship of what that purse is. All these things, the label and whatever you put on it doesn't change what it really is. 
And in relationships, we can label them all kinds of things. We can use the BFF terms. We can use the the for life kind of things and goals and all those terms. But what really matters is what's actually at its core. Is it real or is it counterfeit? Real quality relationships. And so um, it's really interesting because our world has really experienced a transformational shift in the last 20 years. It's, it's mind-boggling how quickly it's moved because about 20 years ago, this new thing came out called social media. And, and, and we started having this thing uh, like MySpace. That, that you could customize your little area and have your top friends and all kinds of things. And, and then later, Facebook came around and now we've got smartphones and this advent. It, you think about how quickly our world has changed. It almost feels like they've always been with us. Have you ever thought about that? It feels like the internet. Is that, is that me? It might be something to do with my microphone. It feels like uh, the... Can you get my level back up? There we go. Okay. It feels like the internet and our smartphones have always been with us. I was having a conversation with my dad the other day. I was like, hey, how did we book hotels that were out of town like 25 years ago, 30 years ago before the internet? He's like, I don't even remember. <laughs> it's, it's, you, you have to call information or something and say, connect me with this city just in general. Just call that city, you know. Um, but it's incredible how this paradigm shift has occurred and whatever platform you may choose, you may be a boomer on Facebook, you may be really young and hip on TikTok, you, whatever the latest trend may be, we've, we were relating to each other in ways we never have before. We're relating to each other in ways, in profound ways we never have before, in really good, positive ways, and in troubling ways also. And there's really a new litmus for socially connecting and being able to actually see what someone's connectedness or influence is. It's measured now on likes and followers and friends. Um, it's, it's how we receive affirmation. I feel affirmed when I get a lot of likes on a picture I post. I feel really affirmed when people comment on things, when, when people mention it's my birthday or whatnot, because, because it's a new, it's a new way of, of us connecting with our world and it's, it's, it's wild. But while we live in a world that's increasingly connected as it's never been before, I think more people are living actually more lonely, isolated lives than ever before. We have these pseudo relationships that, that are existing, kind of living lives in parallel that actually rarely intersect. We see each other from a distance, we see each other online, but, but really it's a relationship that rarely intersects. And so while, while, while this is going on, we, we, we desire and we're actually designed to have relationship that goes deeper. We're designed and intended to have relationship that goes deeper. It actually goes all the way back to the garden when God created Adam. God created Adam and he put him out um, into his creation in the garden. And he made all these animals and, 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 and Adam's interacting with the animals and he's naming them. And this is an incredible thing. But God looks and he goes, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates Eve. And so they have each other as companions. And, 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 and God does this. And it, I think it's also interesting. You realize that God was with Adam before there was Eve. But God recognized even Adam needs Eve. It's not just God. Some of us might make it a really holy thing. Well, me and the Lord, we're just going to stick it out. We don't need the rest of you. But God recognized Adam needs Eve. And so he designed Adam and Eve to, to, to cleave to one another, to have relationship with one another. Um, even with all the animals around, it's not enough. We weren't meant to just live alone with our cat and never leave our home. Now, I'm not saying you can't be single and own a cat. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you should never own a cat is what I'm saying. This is what... Make 
So I, we, we, we require relationships with other people that are deeper than we get with just a pet or a plant or our possessions. We're designed and wired for it. And so the Bible is just chock full of stories about friendships and sacrifice and love and affection. But then it's honest too. I appreciate that the scripture is, is honest. Every single person you read about in here is deeply flawed too. Not counting Jesus. Everyone that you read about in here is carrying some deep flaws. There's stories of, of fractured families, betrayal, profound dysfunction that goes on. And so you get to see these interactions and how God works through these things. And how we can apply it to our lives. And so this morning... We're going to read a story that I think is a, a model of deep commitment and affection that we can look at and see some huge keys in our lives and how we can live out true friendship and relationship with one another. And that's the story of David, David and Jonathan. Many of us are familiar with this story. So David and Jonathan, we know a lot of the story. David, as a young tot, was anointed by Samuel to be the future king of Israel. But this was kind of kept on the DL because the current king and the monarchy wouldn't be thrilled to know that someone from another family, someone else, is going to be the next king. That would be kind of a bad thing. So they kept it on the down low that David was the future king of Israel. And this war comes along. They fight the Philistines. David's checking things out. He sees Goliath. He's like, I'll take him on. He goes out. He kills Goliath. This little pipsqueak kills Goliath. The nation is celebrating. They're like, wow, he did it. And David gets all the rewards that come with that. He gets to marry the king's daughter. He's brought into the palace. And while he's in the palace as this national hero, he meets the king's son, Jonathan. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Samuel chapter 18. First Samuel chapter 18. Um, and we're going to be in a, several chapters following that. We're going to take a few verses from each one, kind of telling the story of David and, and Samuel, or David and, and Jonathan. It says this in verse one. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, so this is after killing David, or killing Goliath, he met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. So here we see this deep friendship forming between David and Jonathan. The original language actually says that Jonathan's soul was knit together with the soul of David. Knit together uh, literally means to physically bind and tie together. Their souls were united in one. That's the friendship level that we're talking about. That they were tied together as one. And the first thing we see here is this. That genuine friendships are, bu- uh, are built by personal investment. Genuine friendships are built on personal investment. See, investment is costly, right? Investment's not free. And so, more than just sharing common interests, how many of us would say a lot of our friendships are based on, you like what I like, I think we're best friends. (laughs) You like cars, I like cars. You like this kind of food, I like this kind of food. You like that movie, I like that movie. Music, all these things, we look for commonalities. And those are great things to, to have a connection with. But can I tell you, deep friendships are not just based on the convenience, but they're actually based upon investment, personal investment. You see, Jonathan gifts David with his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And these things are not just like casual gifts. These are costly gifts. These gifts are actually emblematic gifts. They, they represent Jonathan's royalty and his position in the court. 
They represent his being prince of, e- uh, of, of Egypt. <laughs> I nearly said the movie name. Prince of, of Israel. He's, he's, the, he's next in line. This is his kingly garments that would, would one day be. And this, this is his personal armor. armor. Armor was built custom to the wearer. And so he gave him this personal, these personal items. And these are of high value. You see, meaningful relationships come at cost to that which would be valuable to us. What's valuable to us? I don't think many of us have tunics and armor we're going to be sharing with people. I don't think too many of us are like, here's my tunic. You can have it. That would be an odd thing to give away. But what's valuable to us? Our time. I think time is probably one of the most valuable things that we can offer. Casual friends are plentiful, but true friends uh, require much more time and effort and energy to build. Emotional bandwidth is another gift that we can give. How many of you can tell, can say that when you have a true friend and you have to give them that emotional bandwidth, when you're carrying a burden along with them, it's costly. It's costly. And, and, uh, and energy, just the energy to give that relationship. You're actually putting it in. You're giving it thought. You're giving it your time and energy, your finances. Have you ever had someone come and say, I am coming up short this month. Can you help me? Maybe you're just giving them a gift to let them know that you're thinking of them. There are expenses. There are things that are actually costly that we can invest in relationships. You see, relationships ultimately have very little consequence if they cost us little. Relationships of convenience sound really nice, right? But they're void of substance. So as David continues to serve... In the palace. He's there with Jonathan. There's this deep bond. And Jonathan has invested in this relationship. He's shown his commitment to this relationship of friendship. And David continues to serve in the palace. And his relationship with the king though. While, saw, while, while with Jonathan is really strong. His relationship with the king is deteriorating. Because David actually ends up being pr- pretty popular. Especially with the ladies. He, he comes into town. And the women start singing a song. They say, Saul has killed his thousands. But David has killed his tens of thousands. And the king doesn't like that. And he's getting more and more popular with the army. He's getting more and more popular with political clout. And he starts to feel threatened. And so Saul is already being tormented. He's got this anxiety and this feeling of, uh, of, of just insecurity. In his position. And he sees David as this growing threat. And he gets to points where this torment comes over him so strong that he tries to kill David. And he, he's, he's, he's wanting to kill him. And so moving on into chapter 19, it says this. Now, so Saul urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me. I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. So there's a threat to David. David is under threat. There's there's the risk of, of uh, uh, of being killed and... Jonathan says, you got to get out of here. He warns his friend. And then moving on, if you go down to chapter 20, so David escapes um, and, and he hides out in the town and he's found there and Saul starts to hunt him down. And not only that, Saul is kind of, uh, uh, kind of bipolar. He'll, he'll tell David, I am really sorry I tried to kill you that one time. You should come hang out. Have dinner with us. 
And David's like, okay. And so he comes and has dinner. And, and, and Saul changes his mind. And one day they're at dinner and Saul decides, yeah, I'm going to kill him. So he grabs his spear and tries to shish kebab David right to the wall. But David escapes. And he's frustrated. How many of you would be frustrated if you got someone tried to kill you at dinner? He's frustrated. And he contacts Solomon. He's like, what's the deal? You told me your dad wasn't going to try to kill me. And so that's where it picks up again in in chapter 20. So Jonathan exclaims to him, David goes, what's the deal? Your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan exclaims, you know that if I had the slightest notion my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you at once. Then David said, how will I know whether or not your father is angry? Come out to the field with me, Jonathan replied. And they went out there together. And then Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably favorably about you, I will let you know. But if he's angry and wants you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. Look at this line. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love. Even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. What a thing to say. What a thing to say. But if I die. Genuine friendships require personal risk. Jonathan sticks his neck out for David in a real, real way. He, he actually is prodding the unstable mind of his father. He offers, I'll go talk to him about you. And he, he says, for the sake of my friend, I'm going to go and put myself at risk, realizing there is real threat to my own life. He says, if I die, treat my family with this faithful love. He says, whether it's by the hand of my father who kills me or by the hand of God himself, I will put myself out there for the sake of my friend. What a thing. Now, the risk was real, but most of us would say the chances are high that a mad king is not going to hunt me down and try to kill me for the sake of my friendship. Most of us aren't in that situation where there's like a crazy person and you have to step out there for the sake of friendship. But however, there are real risks in real friendships. We take a real risk when we open ourselves up in vulnerability to a friend. To entrust someone requires that they have knowledge. That may be personal, that may be private, that may be sensitive. And this is counterintuitive to our preservation instincts. My instincts tell me, keep everybody at an arm's length. Don't reveal too much, just just enough to, to keep that friendship healthy and alive maybe. But I don't want you to know too much of my personal business. As a matter of fact, the 17th century poet uh, George Herbert said, Love your neighbor, yet pull not down your hedge. Keep that fence up enough, right? Love people, but let's, let's keep it reasonable. It's much safer to keep people at an arm's length, especially if you've been burned before. How many of us have ever been burned before in a friendship, in a relationship? And we go, I'm not going to let that happen again. I will not open myself up to the possibility of being burned like that again. See, our tendency is not to reveal 
our weakness. Our tendency is not to show our fragility or to, to, to let people know about our anxieties, our fears, our hang-ups, our, our insecurities, our vulnerabilities. But in transparency, when we actually take the risk in friendship of being open about these things, our weaknesses can actually become spaces of victory when we live collectively in truth, when we live collectively in love, where we say, I am bearing myself before you in trust, but it is a risk. And that's where victory can come in because we're no longer carrying those alone. Who can we say that really knows our struggles? Can you think of someone right now that really knows your real struggles, your day in and day out victories? The warts. You see, that requires that we live close enough to each other to actually know each other's felt needs. And that's something we don't see on social media. That's something we don't see in casual hellos at the grocery store. That's something much deeper. To know someone at that level requires that we live in close proximity. That we know each other. And when our wounds and our weaknesses remain hidden, though, we can never win victory. I, I, speaking of cats, I don't really hate cats. I have a cat. But uh, I heard a thing recently about cats that uh, when a cat is sick or hurt, it doesn't come to you and limp around trying to get help. It will hide. If a, if a cat is going to die, if it's really sick, it will go away to die. And that's, that's an instinct that cats have because they can't let another animal see they're weak because then they're prey. And so they're trying to hide these things from, 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 from anything that would be a risk, but not knowing that we as humans need to know that they're sick, need to know that they're hurt so we can take them to the vet, those kinds of things. In the same way, I think we have this human instinct when we're hurt, when we're wounded, when we have areas that we don't want to reveal, we'd rather cover it up, hide it, bring it away to ourselves, and say, I'll keep this to myself. You don't want, I don't want you to know that I'm hurting right now. I don't want you to know that there's brokenness in me right now. That is a risk. But yet the risk of opening up in friendship gives way to healing. In the same way with a pet, if we knew that it needed that help, we can go get it help. In the same way, when we walk in relationship together, trusting, speaking truth, walking in community, it changes the whole paradigm. And we can walk in a much more full wholeness when we do so. So Jonathan truly does put himself at risk for the sake of David in this story. He goes and talks to his dad, and it does not go smoothly. He says, are you mad at David? What's going on? And there's this falling out, and and Jonathan, as a matter of fact, kind of lies to his dad. He says, oh, David's David's, uh, somewhere else. He's, He's just not able to make it. And Saul begins to rage at Jonathan because he knows he's protecting David. Saul begins to rage. In in chapter 20, it says this, moving down into verse 30. It says, Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king? Or do you you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death, Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. So Jonathan left the table in fierce anger, refused to eat on that second day of the festival, for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior towards David. This is a wild story. 
turns out it's probably a good, good situation that Saul was a bad aim with his spear, I guess. He throws a spear at, at Jonathan too. And, and so we can see that it wasn't just that Jonathan, when we told David, was just like trying to make it sound really, you know, dramatic. If I die doing this, he could die going to his father and, and, defending, and defending David. And so he has this moment, but this shows us something that genuine friendships desire truly for the good of the other. And this is an interesting story to me because when Saul grabs his spear and tries to kill his own son Jonathan with it, Jonathan doesn't have a moment where he goes, how dare you try to kill me? That would be my instinct. I would be really mad because you tried to kill me. He's really mad because he realizes you really want to kill my friend. His concern immediately went to David in that moment. He boiled with anger. He boiled with frustration and, 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 and was in fierce anger because he realized that his friend was in danger. He realized that it truly was hatred towards his friend. And I, I, I've often thought, how blind is Jonathan here? He wanted, he, he, doesn't he realize his dad really is trying to kill David? It's been quite a while here. He's hunted him. But I think Jonathan truly wanted to see what was best in his father. He wanted his dad to come back around. I I think that there's a story kind of like that Star Wars thing with Darth Vader, you know. Maybe he'll come back to the light side, hopefully. He wants to see that in his father, but he came to a breaking point where he he said, reconciliation isn't going to happen. He is truly bent towards this destruction. And so Jonathan then puts his friend's good above his own. After the very moment his father tries to kill him with a spear, his first thought isn't, man, that makes me mad my dad tried to kill me with a spear. It's, I can't believe he doesn't like David. And Saul reveals to Jonathan that as long as David lives, Jonathan will not inherit the kingdom. This is interesting too. Did you hear what what Saul said to him while he was raging? He's like, you don't even want to be king. You want David to be king. And there's this moment where Jonathan, if he didn't know already, was like, David is the next in line to be king. It's not going to be me if we continue down this path. I could have David handed over. I could do nothing to defend him. And who would be king if David was killed? Jonathan. Jonathan could have said, you know what? My father's behavior doesn't define me. I'll be a good king. I'll let that just play out however it is. I'll wash my hands of this. Let that play out. And and when I become king, I'll be a good king. He could have said, "Um, if David being alive is keeping me from my destiny, I just won't intervene. But no, he said, I care deeply about my friend, so much so, I want the best for him. And deep friendships share in these triumphs. They share in the struggles. And they celebrate the other. Even when it's not our own victory, they celebrate the other. And they mourn with the other when they're in their deepest mourning. When you read the story of Job, the friends that come along with all the advice... It's not the friends that were counted on and valued. It was the friends who sat in the dust. Sat alongside in the dust and just mourned. Deep friendships share triumphs. Deep friendships share defeats. Cheer even when our own heart is broken. And desire for the good of the other. So Jonathan, we can see here, desires this for his friend. In the book of Proverbs 17 Verse 17, it says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. 
So the saga between Saul and David continues. Uh, Saul continues to hunt David down. David continues to run. There's some crazy stories. If you haven't read the Old Testament, great, great stories to read here. There's stories of hiding in a cave and like cutting off a piece of his coat and all kinds of stuff. And, and the story continues. And then there's a last interaction we see between David and Jonathan. This is the last time we see them talk in the Bible before Jonathan eventually is killed in battle. And in chapter 23, David is hiding once again, and Jonathan comes to him. And it says this, Jonathan went to find David, and he encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You you are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Genuine friendships are built on common faith. Genuine friendships are built on common faith. In the ESV version, in the English Standard Version, it says that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. He strengthened his hand in God. When David was feeling discouraged, I can't imagine how many times you have to wonder, how long am I going to be running? How long am I going to be hiding in caves and living uh, just on the lamb like this? Am I really going to be king? I'm sure David was going through these, these trials, and we read it in the Psalms of, where are you, God? What is the true story? And Jonathan comes along, and he strengthens David's hand in the Lord. He encourages him. He pushes him forward. You see, the most central factor we should hold on in, um, in our closest relationships is that we pursue God together. Yeah. That together we pursue God. Encourage one another forward. In 2 Corinthians 6, it says that we are not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And a lot of us immediately put this to marriage relationship, and that is absolutely true. But that's not what Paul was talking about in this section specifically. He's talking about all relationships. Who are you yoking yourself to to walk this walk, to live this life? Are you walking with a common goal of pursuing God, strengthening each other's hands in God? You see, when, if, if, if you had a travel buddy and all you ever wanted to see was like, Denali, Alaska. You want to see those mountains. You want to see the caribou or whatever's living out there. And that's your goal. But your travel buddy, all they've ever wanted to see was Cancun, Mexico. That travel situation, the journey is not going to be long until one or both of you are profoundly unhappy. And the heart of an unbeliever and the heart of a believer are not pulling in the same direction. And that's what it comes down to. You might say, Pastor Brent, does that mean I can't have friends that aren't Christians? Not necessarily. But can I tell you that there is a deeper dimension to following Jesus together with another, to, to having a relationship, a friendship with someone who is also following Jesus. It takes it to another level that says we are pulling together our central point. Everything we talk about here at New Life Church, everything we talk about is Jesus being the center of it all. Jesus being at the heart of it all. And if this is our goal, if this is our purpose, Jesus at the center of everything, then we have to be walking with people that have the same goal, that say this is our purpose, that strengthen our hand in following God. And so this morning, the question is, where are you at? Where are you at in your friendships? Now, this is not a a message to to call us all to just make as many friends as possible. Um, 
<laughs> Being friends with everyone isn't possible. There's a there's a someone named Arthur Schopenhauer who said everyone's friend is no one's friend. And uh, basically, that's saying that a friend to all is a friend to none, right? We can have very surface friendships, but we need to be wise and we need to be intentional about who our closest friends are, the ones where the relationship goes deep. See, Jonathan didn't just pick anybody. He was very intentional about David being his best friend, about David being the one in which his soul was tethered together to say, we are going to walk this together. So in your life today, can, I, can you answer, is there someone in your life you can say, my life is chained to them. My life is tethered together, soul to soul. We are walking together. We are, we are walking this life together. I am chained to him. I am tethered to her. You see, a vital ingredient to a healthy soul is that of a life that's walked together. Relationship is so foundational. The best version of you is a version of you that's found in community walking together. We're not meant to walk alone. So who is that person? It may be your spouse, and I applaud that. I would say that it would be good to have someone even outside that relationship that you can speak to very candidly, that that you can walk with in a very deep level. Are we in... Living relationships that are real and genuine. In Romans chapter 12, Paul exhorts the people living in Rome. He writes to them, he says, don't just pretend to love other people. Really love them. He says, hold on tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You see, we can offer lip service. We can say all the right things. We can like the right pictures online. We can do all these things. But to truly make the rubber meet the road and say, I am ready to live this out. I'm ready to play this out. Are we living in genuine relationships? And so today, I want us to take that into account. But before we do, I want to ask you this. The Bible tells us there is a friend who sticks closer than any brother could. And the most important relationship we can have this relationship with Jesus. So this morning, can we bow our heads and close our eyes? I want to give you this opportunity. If you have been walking this life and maybe you've got friendships, you've got all those things, but the most important relationship in your world has not yet been established and that is with Jesus. I want to invite you to that. You see, Jesus came to seek us and to find us While we were lost, while we were in our own sin this morning, we took communion. And we've been broken and separated from God, but Jesus died so that we could know God and we could have relationship restored. And that's only through Jesus. So this morning, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, or maybe you've let this relationship fall apart, and it's time to reestablish that commitment, time to reestablish that covenant And say, Jesus, you are my king and you are my God. I want to give you that chance. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to give your heart to Jesus and say, I need a relationship with the God who created me, the God who saved me, the God who I will one day see on the other side of eternity, I want to know him now. If that's you, raise your hand and raise it high. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, put your hands down. Church, repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and coming after me. While I was still a stranger, while I didn't know you, 
You died for me so that I could know you. The ultimate sacrifice. But you also rose again. And you are alive today. And so today I choose to follow you. You are my king. And you are my Lord. From this day forward, I will serve you. In your name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. One last thing. I've got homework for you. As we did that self-evaluation, as we talked and did the self-evaluation of who are you bound to? Who are you tied to? I want to encourage you in this. If you're married and that is, that, that is your person, great. Let's bind ourselves now to someone else who is in this community, in this faith community, to, to encourage and walk alongside them. So here's what we're going to do. When this service dismisses, I want you to go find someone. Either invite them to lunch following the service. You don't have to go to lunch or just make an appointment. Say, okay, then come to my house for dinner on such and such a date. Or let's do coffee at such and such a date. Make an intentional step, a sacrificial step it may be for you because it's time, it's, it's investment of, of maybe finances, whatever it might be, to begin the relationship to say, let's walk together. Alright, so that's your homework. When we get up today, don't walk out, don't just try to get to your car as quickly as possible because, uh, you know, Applebee's is seating right now. Let's take a moment, find someone, introduce yourself, begin to develop those relationships right now. To say, I am not walking alone, I will not let you walk alone. Let's encourage each other in the Lord, amen? Amen, alright. Right now we're going to do our connection cards before Pastor Ty comes up. On your connection cards, if this is your first time, let us know it's your first time. Also, coming up, there are several things we want you to be aware of that are very exciting. Uh, this Friday is the, the youth group fundraiser. They are doing their uh, pasta fundraiser. It's going to be delicious, um, so make sure you come. Melissa has uh, all kinds of stuff. You might want to put it out in the lobby to show off what you got here, Melissa. But donations that have come in from all over the place that we're going to have a, a raffle, and, or no, an auction a silent auction. It's going to be a great time. So make sure you RSVP for that because we want to make sure we have enough noodles for you. Okay? So on your connection card, put down that you're coming to, to, to the Share the Love event. Okay? That's going to be the charity. Or, uh, there we go. Not charity. I'm, I don't know why. That is, how many times have I done that now? Uh, <laughs> um, so, so Share the Love event. That's coming up. Make sure you RSVP for that. Baptism Sunday is next Sunday. We mentioned baby dedication February 27th. Mark your connection card. We will connect with you about baby dedication. We have a seniors event coming up on February 26th. Uh, so seniors, make sure you are aware of that. We will get you more details um, in the coming weeks. So uh, mark your calendars for that. And finally, men's breakfast, March 5th. We're going to have a men's breakfast. It's going to be a great time. I'm sure there will be bacon involved or some sort of uh, pork product, which will be delicious. So um, be, make sure you're, you're aware of that. If this is your first time, let us know on your connection cards it's your first time by going to nlcchurch.com slash connect. There's also a QR code that will show up on the screen. Um, if we can get it on the screen, um, with the QR code for the connection card. Um, so everyone, if you'll get on your smartphones, let us know that you're here. Let us know what we can be praying with you about. We take every prayer request seriously and we take it to prayer every week. So let us know what we can be praying with you about. Um, we also have the paper connection cards in the seat backs. If you would rather do a physical connection card, drop that in the offering in just a moment. Pastor Ty is going to lead us in our tithes and offerings and uh, we will dismiss. Pastor Ty. Let's go ahead and have the ushers come forward. I just want to remind you guys that obedience, like we talked about in this, requires faithfulness. Obedience and uh, blessing require faithfulness. So as we're giving, let's be reminded that 
This is an, our opportunity to continue in worship as a response from the message, to continue and, and put actions to what Jesus is calling us to do in our hearts. Amen. Amen. God, and I thank you for who you are. I thank you uh, for this chance to glorify you through our finance and our generosity. I pray that we would do it boldly, uh, generously, and excitedly. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. One, two, three. Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before the lion and the lion. Every knee will bow before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chain. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before him. Good rest of your day, church. We love you. We're excited for you. Bless you.